This is Novel Marketing, the show for novelists who aren't necessarily fond of marketing, but still want to become best-selling authors. Episode 136. I'm James L. Rubart, but you can call me Jim. I'm Thomas Umstadt, Jr. I'm Alex Newton. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about how to sell more books. There's an old saying that says, what gets measured gets managed. So if we measure our sales process and we can see what's working and what's not working, there's a much greater chance we'll pay attention to it and manage the process. Or put another way, the more you understand about how readers find you and why they find you and why they buy books on Amazon, the more books you're going to sell. And today, to help us dive deep into this subject is our guest, Alex Newton, the CEO and founder of Klytics.com, which is a leading market research resource for authors and publishers, or put in terms that are more understandable, his company and his expertise helps authors sell more books, face less competition, and get a much bigger return on the time and money that they put into their careers. Now, Alex is based in Germany, and if you get him talking about the World Soccer Championship, he might never stop. So he's very passionate. Um, He has 20 years of worldwide consulting experience, and for the past four years, he's focused on Amazon and eBooks. And what we love about Alex is he has this unique ability to translate complex data that would confuse most of us and put it in layman's terms so that the average writer can understand it, not only understand it, but actually apply it to their books and take action on the data. So Alex, so great to have you on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's uh it's great to be here, and uh, well, we just lost an important soccer game yesterday, football game yesterday. So I'm, but I'm not in depression, so I look forward to this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, well, good. you don't have to worry about the United States and the World Cup. Uh, we decided that it was too good for us, so it's one less competition you have. <laughs> so why quit your career and go into book marketing? Well, a long story short, you know, a couple of things came together, you know, about 20 years, I've been living out of the suitcase, you know, being a corporate management consulting, consultant Monday to Friday, Uh, my little daughter was born, and I really had to look into, hey, are there any other models to generate income? So at that time, I started researching internet business models and how to create income online, and especially from home. And I think it was especially at the time when we had what I, th- I think we could call the Kindle gold rush, you know, with many and things came together. You know, many authors uh, at the time suffered from what I called back then paleo breakfast recipes syndrome and publishing disorder. <laughs> well, let me explain. You know, I, I signed up to one of these how to get rich with Kindle type of courses that you could buy a couple, a couple of years ago. And everybody on that course was jumping on the bandwagon of, you know, publishing recipes and cookbooks and these sort of things. Now, having been in corporate management consultant consulting for 20 years, I'm very much a fact person, right? So I, I started to look at the facts and said, well, first of all, I've never seen anybody cook in the kitchen with a Kindle next to him or her. <laughs> and... I started looking onto the Amazon platform and uh, I saw things about sales rank and category sizes and I started putting things together and 
before I knew it, I had a, a first report together on the on the sales performance of the top Amazon, th the, the big 30 main categories. I gave it to a couple of authors and uh, in that group, and they tore it out of my hands. Say, hey, do you have more? And can you do this on subcategories and so on and so forth? Here we go, four years later. That was when Kalytics was born, and here we are for four years later going strong. And you get to you get to spend time with your daughter. <laughs> You're not doing the traveling. And that's the most important thing. So these days, I literally can bring my daughter to school, and I spend every breakfast and lunch and dinner at home. So what does Kalytics stand for? Well, the K stands for Kindle, and Lytics stands for Analytics. And or originally, it was actually called When We Went Live or I went live, I was alone back then, um, we called it Kindleitics, which I thought was an extremely fancy title. So the website went live, and you know immediately I got a, a storm of people, oh my God, Amazon is going to sue you, you have Kindle in the domain name, and et cetera. So I, but the site was live. I said, well, w what can I do with the graphics, with everything? So I took out the Indle from Kindle, and that's how we ended up with Kalytics. Here we are. Nice. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So, um, Alex, let's talk about some of the details of what Kalytics does for authors. I mean, I mean, boil it down for us. What's the essence of what you guys do for aspiring authors and established authors? Right. Well, in, in essence, in simple terms, we provide market information that allows authors and publishers um, at that make better book publishing decisions and basically save yourself weeks if not months of research so that you can focus on what you should be doing as a writer which is writing and as a indie author or indie publisher uh, still you shouldn't get totally immersed with you know all the business tasks outsource what you can and basically we are your market research department so in simple terms, we provide for any genre, and there are more than 3,000. We can tell you exactly the sales potential, the sales trends, the level of competition in a genre or a niche, the price levels. Do prices go up, down, even down to things like, you know, keywords, top selling covers, top authors, and top publishers, you name it. And it's it's basically two components. Or it's a big database where we've been monitoring uh, Amazon over the years and and then we also try to do it like ready-made research for the authors so all the legwork is done for you and you can use it if i if i'm allowed to use my consulting lingo you know for very strategic questions such as you know what shall i write or what twist shall i give my science fiction novels you know what what direction shall i take it uh, down to very tactical things, you know, in, into what categories sh shall I put my book on Amazon and what is my competition doing? These sort of questions, that's what we do provide. Wow, this is huge because, you know, our typical listener, we know who our typical listener is and they say, yeah, I'd love to have this information, but I do not want to do any of the work to, to grab this info. So a huge service of what you're providing for people. And I'm, I'm guessing you can do general reports to customized reports, everything else in between. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, one thing which is a little, little bit like an on-demand service, so you can access the database yourself and, you know, sort and filter and say, okay, let's sort all the science fiction subcategories, you know, by sales or by level of competition or combine it. Or, you know, if you're, you know, less 
you know, versed with data. Um, we have like ready-made reports, which basically say, okay, let's talk about mystery thriller suspense and let's talk about all the 70 subgenres within it and and get all the data out of that so if somebody is writing a number of there let's say they write fantasy but within fantasy like you say there's many subgenres within that they could say well i love writing these three or four which one should i concentrate on you actually provide that data so they go oh this one is selling much better than the other three it makes sense for me to pursue this avenue that's exactly right. And obviously, you can add a lot of criteria to that question, you know, and we'll, I think we'll get to it in more detail as well. But what is the level of competition or what is the price level and all these sort of things. But I think one important thing I need to point out from the beginning, while, you know, the data is one thing, the market is one thing, the other thing is the artist who brings a certain craft and a passion, hopefully, for a certain genre. And my personal mission is a little bit to, you know, where art meets science is where we bring the market data to the artist, to the writer, to the creative person, and try to bring these two worlds together to create a good product. Because it's not just about, you know, knowing what categories are hot, right? Knowing whether fantasy or science fiction is hot. It's knowing, okay, uh, I'm wanting to write in a specific subgenre, which subgenre do I want to write for? And, you know, this is for the right to market kind of philosophy. So if you're like have an artistic mindset and you're like, I just want to write the story that I want to write. Kalytics is not that helpful. It, it, you can like see the different covers perhaps and like what other popular covers are in your category uh, and maybe figuring out which subgenres to pick. But where this is really helpful is when you're a little bit flexible with your writing and you're willing to adapt to what people are wanting to buy. It doesn't mean you have to sell out. It doesn't mean you have to sell, write in a genre that you hate. But knowing how to make those slight adaptations can make a huge difference in how many copies you sell. Because if you're writing in a really crowded genre that no one is buying, in say cookbooks for instance you're even if you write the best cookbook ever no one wants to read a cookbook on a kindle that's exactly right and i think the last thing we want to have is is writers and creative people out there waste their time and effort and it's it, it's correct if you simply write for the passion you just write what comes to your mind if you write to achieve a certain authority in a certain field you know you can use the data to find uh, say, non-fiction areas that are still very easy to rank in. But if you are a fiction writer and you have a little bit flexibility, then if you're in, say, in mystery, thriller, suspense, you you may want to know as a writer, and especially if I say not just indie author, but indie publisher, as soon as you put the word, the very term publisher into your title, even if it's just an indie publisher, you know, uh, you have the responsibility to look at what the market wants. And, and this is what the data can uh, bring to you. So is the mystery thriller suspense marking more going towards thrillers, more towards mystery within mystery? Is it cozy uh, or is it vigilante justice or is it female protagonist mystery? These are the sort of questions that you want to answer. So what are the highest selling? What g Give us the scoop. What's the hottest categories <laughs> right now on Amazon? Well, it always depends on, you know, what perspective you take, starting from a helicopter perspective. Because mind you, I mean, on Amazon right now, you have like, it's getting really crowded. You have like 4.79 million English titles. And there's 70,000 books added every month. So book supply is still growing with about 18% per year. And and I bet that 
ebook demand has slowed to a single digit growth rate. So uh, you really have to look at what's hot. So on a on a helicopter perspective, what what people are usually not aware of in Amazon and they still keep publishing cookbooks and <laughs> these sort of things is it, it's very simple. The the top genre on Amazon Kindle is is romance and that is then followed by uh, mystery thriller suspense and then with a little less science fiction and fantasy then you go into teen and young adult then religion spirituality and then you get a long tale of all the other stuff um, and obviously from there you can break it down into more than 3,000 subgenres. wow <laughs> that that i'm just amazed at how many subgenres it can be broken down into so there's the popularity of the categories, but then there's also how competitive they are, right? So we know romance is the most popular category, but it's got to also be the most popular category amongst authors where the everyone is writing a romance. Are there any categories that have high popularity and yet low competition in the sense of people are not uh, writing very many books in that category comparatively? Yeah, I mean, you raise a very, very important point. The, the one side of the equation is obviously demand. So what do readers buy? And and even within romance, right, you, you can say, okay, within romance, what, what's currently hot? I mean, you have very big romance genres such as contemporary, romantic comedy selling very well, very well romantic suspense, then military romance, and a little less new adult in college. And then it goes into niches like sports romance, gothic romance, you name it. And But on the other side, you have the level of competition. And there it's really important to note that the differences are, there are vast differences depending on the level you look at. So, for example, interesting, by, by the way, the biggest genre, not in terms of demand, but in terms of competition on Kindle, few people know this, is religion and spirituality with 597,000 English-speaking titles as we speak. Then in romance, you have a, level of competition of 435,000 English-speaking titles. Then science fiction and fantasy, roughly, you know, 150,000 English-speaking titles. So you see immediately the level of competition in sci-fi and fantasy is less than half of what it is in romance. But then you can break it even further down and, and ask yourself, well, you know, what what is less competitive in romance? Even in romance, you find still niche markets today, like, say, gothic romance, where you have uh, currently roughly 1,000, sorry, 2,170 English titles. Or you could say, in let's go to science fiction, fantasy, fantasy Arthurian, 200 titles, 280 titles. And the funny part is, while on the one end of the spectrum you have things like romance, you know, with more than 400,000 titles, you can niche it down to categories where you have only one title in the very category. So so if you came in that title, and uh, you were automatically guaranteed a number two bestseller spot in that category. Yeah, and if you select the right one, you will be immediately in number one. I mean, take an example such as um, right now, crafts, hobbies, and home slash how-to and home improvements, slash sub-subcategory small appliance repair, you know, has only one book, in, one English book in the category. Now, funny enough, that book is a paleo diet cookbook and not a how-to home appliance book <laughs> because the person had that very strategy. But that's what you have, yes. 
Because it's a bit of a hack, right? Somebody goes to that paleo diet book and it says number one bestseller and it's a number one bestseller in a category with hardly any other books in it, which I don't know if I would recommend that because that's a little disingenuous. Uh, but it does give you an idea. If you're trying to write a book, it's like, wow, there is a, you know, no competition in this sub-sub-category. Uh, real quick, I want to talk about how to pick a best category. But first, Jim, do we have a featured patron? We do. We have our featured patron this week is Benjamin Ellefson, who lives in Costa Rica. He's a we have an international show today. We, we do. have a guest we from do. Germany and a patron <laughs> from Costa Rica. <laughs> Perfect timing. So he, he's an award-winning author. He writes middle-grade books that really focus and celebrate the importance of uh, self-reliance and preparedness and diversity. So here is his current book. It's called The Land Without Color. I love that title. I mean, imagine that, right? Land Without Color. Floating into the air with an enormous gum bubble, Alvin lands in a strange world where everything is gray. The trees, the flowers, the dirt, the sky, the animals, and even the people are all missing their color. Confronted with the mystery of the missing color, Alvin teams up with a talking squirrel and Spanish-speaking mouse to battle man-eating plants. Outsmart the bumbling crimson guards, cross the sugar desert, overcome the two-headed dragon, and find the color-stealing goblins to restore color to the kingdom. I love that, Benjamin. (laughs) And you can find links to both Benjamin's website and his book in the show notes. Just scroll down in your iOS app or your podcast app, and you can just click to see if you want to find out more. So back to Thomas, back to your question about best category. Yeah, Alex, uh, what? how does somebody pick what the best category is for them in the sense of like, they, not everyone can write every kind of book, right? There's no way I'm going to write a romance. Uh, that's just not what I'm going to do. So how would I pick the best category? How would our listeners pick the best category? Right. I mean, first thing you have to think about is what is your goal as a writer? So as you said before, if you just write for the love and passion for it, you don't care about categories, right? If you want to reach readers, you may want to look at your available subgenres, and we'll get into that in a second. If you just write for the authority, so if you're in nonfiction and say, hey, I want to be the number one authority in a certain field, you look at, you know, what are the available categories there where you have very little competition, where very importantly, the Kindle market may not be the right channel for you to monetize, so to earn money uh, with your knowledge, but it may be a vehicle to prove, hey, here I'm the number one bestseller in whatever gardening and horticulture, bonsai, growing bonsais. Kindle won't give you much money, but for you, a criteria is, hey, is that something where I can prove my authority being a bestseller? Now, for a fiction writer, um, in very simple terms, I use a very simple framework, which would be, well, what is the level of demand? So what are the sales? And what is the level of competition against it? So in other words, is it a very crowded place? Or is there still space to breathe for an author or publisher? And then you could obviously get a little more sophisticated and say, okay, well, these are two criteria, but um, you can add your own criteria. Do you have a certain craft skill in that genre? So is that a fit? Or you can take criteria from us where we could add things like, well, what is the price level in the genres? Prices differ quite a bit. So for example, price levels in mystery, thriller, suspense are still more healthy than in science fiction and fantasy, which in turn are more healthy than romance. 
which is a genre which comes very much at the tail end. So it's a bit like in the automotive industry, it would be your uh, cheap mass market, right? While you have other genres where price levels are still pretty healthy. So mystery thriller suspense is like the Lexus and romance is like the Toyota. It's the, where the cheaper, uh, the books are, all the authors are competing on price, whereas with the mystery writers are not lowering their price as much, which means if you're coming in, you can charge a higher price for your books and people won't think that you're expensive. That's right. And especially once you go into, say, also the nonfiction area or even technical books area, I mean, um, the extreme example is if you go on Kindle and try to download a book on uh, maritime law, it can cost you $200, right? So just to also mention the extreme example. So prices do vary. And um, you're exactly right. If you go into romance, you know, that's where you have to be highly productive, churn out books, you know, by the dozen. And uh, because it's exactly what you say, it's like like a mass market for cars. And, and a good strategy, I think, is if you're a beginning author, start with one of these less competitive markets because it's easier to find a place for yourself in a less competitive market. And then as your platform grows, as the number of readers are familiar with you grows, and as your craft improves, then you're able to go for some of these more competitive markets. And, you know, starting with high school football instead of going straight to the World Cup. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, it's really hard if you're just getting started to be playing at that professional level. Yes. And, and it, especially, it also has to do with your marketing budget. You know, if you know, if, if you're a mystery thriller suspense writer, if you just say, I write mystery thriller suspense and you, you know, you, you be that generic, I mean, you're head on in competition with all the, you know, the, the big whatever, the, the John Grishams, the David Baldacci's of the, of the world and the, the traditional publishers. But if you say, no, I, I'm really going to niche it down on, you know, financial thrillers with, a female protagonist, you know, some sort of that niching it down, then you have a much higher chance of, of finding certain readers, targeting readers, and, and uh, yeah, hopefully increasing the odds of success with a potentially still more limited marketing budget at the beginning of your career. Is it dangerous to niche it down so far that there's 10 people who read these kind of books in the world and you've got all 10 of them, but it's only 10? That's a big danger too, especially we see it a lot in 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 the nonfiction market where on the back of these many, many, you know, upload your book and get rich with Kindle type of courses we've had over the years where, you know, people were whatever, you know, let's let's make a book about bonsai and stuff. And I, I can tell you that I think I made one calculation that just by looking at the genres and the odds of success, you have to imagine there are, with the more than 4.5 million books on Kindle, if you, if you look at the market share of, say, the rank positions, yeah, then one, one basically has to face the fact that of the about 1 billion to 1.5 billion in revenue that Amazon allegedly does with, with the Kindle platform, the top 12% of that revenue, 12% of that revenue is generated by the top 100 rank positions in the store. 30% of the revenue are generated by the top 1,000 rank positions in the store, and 87% of all the revenues generated by the top 50,000 books out of the 4.7 million. So is there a danger? Yes, there is, there is a very high danger because I can tell you from 
about 5,000 categories that we now monitor, only 15% of those, about six to 700, are what we could call commercially, vi commercially viable in terms of relatively high sales compared to a manageable competition. And you have a huge risk of people who say, you know, I had an elderly couple and they come up and say, hey, uh, we, we really know about gardening and horticulture. We want to write a Kindle book. And I say, don't even start. The num even, you know, the a top 20 title in gardening and horticulture is going to sell three books a day at maximum. So don't bother. We, we have a lot of listeners who, I mean, we focus on uh marketing for fiction, but we have a lot of listeners who write nonfiction. What's your best tip for somebody that is writing or looking to write a nonfiction book at this moment? Well, at this moment, especially on the Kindle platform, you really have to look at the at the data on what is selling. Of course, there are evergreen topics also in, in nonfiction, such as um, maid-seeking, such as parenting, such as um, relationships, and obviously certain diet niches, ketogenic diet is still currently very big. But the point there is what people don't, many people don't know a fact about the Amazon platform is Amazon has the Kindle bestseller list and it has on the website, it's advertised as a print bestseller list. But once you click through it, you will notice that it's not a print bestseller list. In fact, it's a cross-format book bestseller list. And so we, we recently looked at what is the penetration of formats across these various genres. And a very interesting finding was is that while things like your for your fiction authors, romance, mystery, thriller, suspense, sci-fi, and fantasy, the ebook penetration of the top 100 is more than 70%. So there you cannot go wrong. But as soon as you go into nonfiction, for example, self-help, if you look at the top 100 on Amazon, only 15% of those are ebooks. So you really also have to look at a paperback, a hardcover strategy if you if you go into nonfiction. What I keep telling the nonfiction people is there are pockets where you can still make money. You will also have to have a print strategy and potentially an audible strategy. But also you, you have to say, is it really the book that I want to earn my money with? Or is it, is it another vehicle? I do webinars or have a YouTube channel or do live, uh, live seminars with my clients. That's a very important thing to decide before you go into a nonfiction publishing strategy. Because you can make a lot of money giving speeches, and it's a lot easier to get speaking opportunities if when the event coordinators are looking up on Amazon, they see that you're a number one bestseller. They're like, oh, well, this guy must be the man or the woman for this topic, and they book you right away, and you can make your money that way. So it, it is important. And I know we don't talk too much about nonfiction, uh, so this is the Novel Marketing Podcast, but... For nonfiction, it's really important to think outside of the book and think in terms of career and making money with your expertise more broadly. Alex, we're almost out of time, but real quick, tell us where you what your predictions are for the future. Where do you see the Kindle store going in the next five, 10 years? Well, almost by definition, it's going to keep growing. I think the big question is right now, if you compare the Amazon platform with the um, your Library of Congress in the United States, Amazon has grown bigger than the than the Library of Congress, right? So you have about 20 times as many electronically available 
items than in the Library of Congress. And it's, as I said, growing with 70,000 items uh, by the month. And the big issue is, right now, the also question going forward, is Amazon going to be and remain, Amazon Kindle, a Library of Congress, i.e., none of the books are going to be deleted, you know, you, shelf space is unlimited? Or will there at a certain point, because the user experience may also start to deteriorate, because if you now type in, uh, I want to read a whatever financial thriller, and you get 20,000 search results at a certain stage, also the user experience deteriorates. So one big prediction is going to be, I think Amazon will make a decision as to whether they will introduce, I'm not saying censorship, but a certain quality stage gate into what, what gets uploaded to the store, which currently is, is really, really poor and deteriorates their user experience, which should be a priority and is a priority for Amazon. And related to that, the big question is going to be, and we see already the start, is shelf space limited or unlimited? And obviously, it is limited in a way in terms of what gets shown. So ad costs will go up, the platform will grow. Amazon does have about 80, 85% market share of the ebook market. So I don't think that that dominance is going to go away. So if you're in the ebook game, I think there is no way around Amazon for, for the time to come. Well, Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know there's, whenever we talk about data, uh, there's always so much that can be said. And I know our, question, our listeners are going to have a lot of questions about specific topics. And so what I'd like to do is do a webinar with you and me and our listeners. If anyone wants to come in, you can get questions answered about your specific genre and go into more uh, detail uh, with that. So uh, Alex, if that's all right with you, I'd, uh, or we've actually talked about this ahead of time, so I know it's all right with Alex. So we're <laughs> going to do it on, on Monday at three o'clock, and we'll have a link in the show notes if you want to come to that webinar to learn more. Uh, and it's a totally free webinar. You can come with your questions. We're going to dive into the numbers. I realize numbers aren't for everyone. Uh, and some authors, uh, this really makes them kind of break out in highs. And that's okay. But if, if you, you want to learn more, do, I do encourage you to come to that webinar. I, I do look forward to it. And, and don't be afraid. You know, my job for 20 years was whatever the complexity of the analysis, the result has to be made so simple and conveyed in such a simple fashion that we used to say in our former company that kids, grandmothers, grandfathers, and corporate CEOs can understand it. <laughs> Even corporate CEOs, I love it. All right, this episode has been brought to you by the NovelMarketing.com Patreon campaign. So many of our listeners help support the show by paying a monthly donation. And we uh, just want to say thank you so much. In fact, to say thank you, we are upgrading the $5 level. So the $5 level comes with ex two exclusive episodes every month and a bunch of other features, exclusive discounts, but we're upgrading it one more time. And that is everyone at the $5 level uh, will have their book featured on novelmarketing.com. Initially, this was only for the higher levels, but once I got my book table set up, I could add new books in about 10 seconds a book. And so I'm like, why not just open this up to everyone at the $5 level? So if you want to learn more, go to novelmarketing.com and click the Patreon button. We would love to have your support and help you promote your book. You've been listening to James L. Rubart, Thomas Humstead Jr., and our special guest, Alex Newton, on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you novel ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing 
offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thanks so much for listening.